This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Look, we all know from experience, compliance sucks. But what if I told you that there is a better way? Our good friends at ByteCheck developed the first ever managed service for SOC 2. Leverage the innovative ByteCheck platform and a combined experience of over 30 years from the ByteCheck team to complete your SOC 2 examination faster without the headache. The ByteCheck team works as an extension of your team to prepare evidence, draft SOC 2 report sections, and provide all the necessary artifacts to your team to then provide to auditors. Reach out to the ByteCheck team by dropping down into the show notes and visiting ByteCheck.com. Welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. What does racial equality, technology, and mindfulness have to do with one another? Well, we dive into this and more with Natasha Barnes. She is incredible. She is doing so many things across technology and racial equality. So let's dive right in and have a chat with Natasha. We hope you enjoy this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again in the studio today. We've brought in a very special guest. We have Natasha Barnes. She is Associate Director and CEO Action for Racial Equality Fellow at Protivity and also a friend of Chris and myself. Natasha, welcome to the show. So glad to be speaking to you. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be here today. So excited to have you. We've had some incredible conversations just chatting back and forth between uh, the few of us. But for the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Yeah, so for my background, for the past 11 years, I've worked in IT risk and controls for the government and also for the private sector where I've been for the last several years. So in my firm, I do work on a variety of IT internal audit engagements, cybersecurity risk assessments, et cetera. And then within the firm for some other internal initiatives, I do a lot of different things, including serving on our racial equity advisory council, which ties into the other role that I have externally, which is serving as a CEO action for racial equity fellow. So that's a corporate coalition with 100 plus organizations that all since October have been working to advance racial equity within our country through legislation and other corporate partnerships, essentially. So what you're telling us is you're looking for more things to do because you have a lot of free time on your hands? So much free time. Like, <laughs> my dog is like, when are we going to go for this walk, mom? You know, so like, <laughs> can't be, can't be involved. <laughs> no, that's incredible. One of the things that stand out to us about you, the way you lead people, is your focus on wellness and your focus on what people need to do their jobs and be level set when it comes to dealing with adversity, dealing with challenges, you're doing great things in the racial equity space, but also in the mental space. Tell us a little bit about your your journey through mindfulness and wellness. Love to hear where that started and how's it going today? When I moved um, here in Northern Virginia, after I graduated from Penn State, I'd started taking some yoga classes, met this amazing teacher, Jenny Loving, who I still am in communication with and take her classes when I can now. And uh, she really just opened the door to me for what yoga and meditation was all about. 
I was very confused about just sitting around and somehow accomplishing something by doing that. <laughs> so I've come a long way <laughs> in my practice. Um, and several years later, she encouraged me to take yoga teacher training. And then after that, I took some additional training specifically in meditation. Um, a lot of it happened last year since 2020 was a challenging year for many of us. So I decided to take a certification within to become a mindfulness workplace facilitator and another training in mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBSR. So all of that essentially led to me launching a mindfulness meditation program within my office last year in March as we were all trying to figure out how do we contribute to help bring some type of ease (laughs) to all of us as we were going through and continue to go through the pandemic. And this past March, uh, March 2021, celebrated one year of having that program, which now has colleagues attending from all over the United States and also the UK since we're fully virtual, of course. So that's been a really cool journey to, to be on for other people and their wellness practices. And it's definitively helped to improve my practice as well. One year of teaching others and really instructing others to practice mindfulness, that's really great. I think even for someone to spend one year for themselves just to meditate, that's even like exceptional. And for me, when I was on the East Coast, I didn't really know much about mindfulness or meditation Mm -hmm. until I moved out West and kind of took some time for myself. And it's really been impactful for me. It's made me more patient. And it's also made me more kind. Like I have a lot more compassion for others. Maybe it's just being able to sit and think about things and letting the thoughts play out. What has been the surprise for you when meditating or even teaching others to meditate? What's been like that aha moment or that surprise that you weren't expecting? And I love all the benefits that you've been seeing in your practice too. That's awesome. We definitely hope to cultivate so many of those attributes. I think the surprise for me sometimes is that I am sometimes people's kind of gateway to this world. Um, I feel like it's a tremendous responsibility and one that I take seriously. And I spend a lot of time practicing, you know, and researching. And I have a, a structure that is really there to be helpful, whether someone's coming for the first time or they've been practicing now so it can be supportive to them. So I think to me, that's surprising that I can be there first and then to hear how it's transforming them. You know, where people are just saying, sometimes some people tune in, they don't like to meditate. They just want to hear my voice because they think it sounds <laughs> soothing. <laughs> and they just like to laugh for it. Or someone who's like, um, you know, there was someone who's uh, their supervisor said, I think you need one of Natasha's sessions right now so that you can, you know, chill out <laughs> a little bit and get centered. And that was really cool, too. So I think it's, it's seeing how it's changing them and how it's showing up more often in them having more peace, more compassion, and just taking the time and feeling empowered to take the time and that they really need to do it in order for us to really show up for others. It's it's not selfish. It's, it's being really um, focused on how you can truly take care of yourself to better care for others. So all those have been really, really cool moments to be a part of people's journey. I'd love to hear a moment where your mindfulness practice was super evident in a situation or a challenge that you were dealing with. Could you tell us a story about that? I'm trying to think work-related, I guess, is the first thing that came to mind. I had a really big presentation to do on the Racial Equity Fellowship to brief our global executive team a few weeks ago in late April. And I had done a ton of it, a ton of preparation beforehand. So it's a really big day. This means yoga is happening. Meditation is happening. There could be some gospel singing at like, you know, like just singing to the heavens as loud as I can in my house. And I think I have my little mantra that I have as well that I could share if you're curious about the mantra I do before I go into these big game time decisions. And then when I was in the moment, it was just so evident. I think that I was present. I was managing my breathing the entire time. I was conscious of how I was breathing. I was able to slow it all down. 
which for me is it's kind of like I'm the instructor, the director, however you want to say it, of what's happening, but I'm not fully in it. I'm a little bit spaced from it so that I can observe it in a way that still helps me navigate intentionally, as opposed to getting caught up in, I'm really nervous. And these are all really important people that I'm talking to right now. And <laughs> am I going to forget where I'm going in this presentation, <laughs> which was, which normally can happen. And a couple of those thoughts did come by, but I was able to just finish it and just feel like, yes, like I, because of that time of taking that time to be silent and everything I did before, I know that that came through. And I think that's part of why it was really well received. It almost sounds like you went to a flow state because one of the the hallmark sort of pieces to being in flow is like a, a separation from self. You're not caught up in your own anxieties. You're not caught up in thinking what other people are thinking. You're you're really honed in onto what you have to do. And also, we'd love to hear that mantra. What is that mantra that is your go to for these uh, challenging situations? Yeah. And I think you're right. I loved how you described it. I think that was totally correct. And it happens um, right in those types of situations. And when I'm facilitating a session for people too, there are times when I can reach that that state, which is pretty cool. So the mantra is partly inspired by someone you know, Brian Markham, who's been a mentor and friend of mine oh. for several years. Um, and many times I'd ask him, you know, before big presentations, and I'd be like, I'm really nervous. And he's like, right, you're nervous because you care. Right. Mm. So like, you know, this is why that happens. So you care, you prepare it and you move on. Um, so it goes, I'm nervous because I care. I care. So I prepared from my mind to my heart, my, to my hair. So sit back and let me show you why I'm here. Wow. I like it. I, I'm sure that, you know, just having this state of mind helps you with everything that you do, your work, the things that you're doing for racial equity, and even the things that you're doing outside of work. Mm -hmm. But I would like to know a little bit more about the CEO action for racial equity. Mm -hmm. What exactly is that? Yeah, you're right. It definitely helps. And I know it helps when I don't do enough of it. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, great. My chest is really tight. I should probably go handle that. So right in October of last year, CEO Action for Racial Equity kicked off. And the catalyst for the fellowship was the murder of George Floyd. And the Umbrella Organization is a CEO action for diversity and inclusion. And within that, there are CEOs who essentially have signed a pledge committing to advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives within their organizations. So when George was murdered, a variety of CEOs decided that they wanted to see if they could answer this question of, does corporate America have a role to play in advancing racial equity within our nation and essentially improving our overall societal well-being? And in doing so, they decided to set up the framework for the fellowship that would focus on these four pillars of healthcare, education, economic empowerment, and public safety. And they needed the talent, though, since this is a corporate coalition. <laughs> um, so they were asking for volunteers, essentially, from those companies where they had CEOs who signed on to the first part of the pledge. And then my firm decided that they would nominate me to be the first fellow that would represent our organization in this effort. So from October until basically about April, we were all very focused on figuring out what are we going to focus on? What are those solutions that are going to be the most impactful in improving the lives and saving lives of Black community members, the 47 million Black community members who reside within the United States? I chose to be a part of the public safety pillar, um, in part because of George Floyd, but also so many other names, including Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland, who was born a few days before me. So I always recognize her when my birthday comes by <clears throat> and many other, you know, instances of racism and discrimination and oppression that have happened to my family and myself and others. 
Um, so within that, we've spent a ton of time narrowing down all the solutions we could possibly come up with to solve this problem that has never truly been solved, an, an issue that continues to plague our national society and our global society. And we've now come to this amazing milestone where we've finalized the solutions that will go forward. We are collaborating across the pillars and we are now moving into implementation. And shortly, I think this week, that will be publicly announced to say, what are those solutions that we're going to work on? How are we going to partner with community organizations we've been engaged with and with, of course, policymakers and other corporations in the fellowship um, to advance our ideas? So Ron and I, we do Think Weeks about twice a year. And during one of our Think Weeks, we met someone that was very much focused on effective altruism. What is the highest leverage thing that you can do to enact change in your community, in society, and in the world? Mm. How do you decide what actions to take that are going to have the most leverage from an equity standpoint? It seems like it'd be pretty difficult to do without mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of data. So I'd love to hear how you all handle that sort of thing. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, too. I'd love to hear more about that. And yeah, it's been a lot of effort, a lot of research. Um, we've, we've partnered with a lot of organizations who've been dedicated to this work. I can share about the two policies that are on our website. One of them is related to closing the digital divide. And this is about um, increasing the accessibility, affordability, and adoption of the internet to underrepresented communities. And the second is expanding digital health access. Um, so in, in those teams who worked on those solutions, it was a lot of research. So we have our own data analytics team as well, but it's them you know, choosing sources that we have identified as being reputable, talking to all those different stakeholders to make sure we're getting a good perspective on it to see if that would be feasible. And before that, we also identified gaps. So we went through and said, well, what are the gaps that we're really trying to solve? So for me, I'm in public safety. Public safety involves um, law enforcement reform, criminal justice reform, natural man-made disasters, um, environmental justice, a lot of things. So then we went through and said, what are the gaps that are related to this area that we're trying to solve? And then when we looked at our solutions, we were trying to make sure the solutions would address the largest amount of the gaps. Um, so that's how we tried to go about trying to determine, is this going to be the most equitable solution and place for us to put our time and efforts um, to make the biggest impact that's possible. What was it like for you growing up and looking at technology? Was technology available and accessible for you? I know for me in my life, I was really interested in sports, more so like things of public entertainment early mm -hmm. in my life. And it wasn't until I had a mentor that really helped me get access to these books, these people and the wisdom that got me really interested in uh, cybersecurity. Yeah. So for me, it was, um, you know, Sega. Mario, Nintendo. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that was like the gist, like having to like, you know, get the Q-tip to clear out the cartridge if there was yeah, any There you go. Um, they, they don't know nothing about that today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like cheating and duck hunt, like putting the gun directly on the screen. <laughs> yeah. like those were the things I was about. So all that to say, like, you know, no one was looking at me and my family as saying, like, yeah, you should become like this new like tech wizard. Like I was into writing and poetry and all of that. So I was more I guess they essentially encouraged me to do more public relations. Public relations is my first degree that I earned at Penn State. And I added on IT security and risk analysis afterwards. Why did I do that? I did that because I did a case study on Hurricane Katrina my as my PR capstone course. And when I looked at that, looking at it from a communications focus of how many lives we could have saved, how much damage could have been prevented from just anticipating what could have occurred, right? If the water level is so high and you can't see the street signs to know what street you're on, right? Just things like that in terms of the challenges in navigating to help people. 
And that is essentially what helped to make me think about more how how to protect people. And that led me to security and risk analysis. (laughs) So it was not a probably traditional path. I don't know if there is such thing anymore now, which I'm glad to know (laughs) Um, is not the case. And that's not what I thought about the tech world initially. And that's kind of what led me here. And that's why I think I still get joy out of doing this work because I think about it from a protection standpoint, whether it's the employees or most likely their stakeholders. That's kind of how I got into it. A little bit different. I wasn't breaking things. <laughs> I wanted my video game to play so I could finish my level of Pac-Man or Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever. <laughs> no, I think that's a perfect segue. You and I, we've had conversations about purpose. How would you say cybersecurity today is helping you enact that purpose and bring it into fruition? It's interesting because when I think about that question in terms of the fellowship, I mean, they brought together individuals across all types of companies, industries, experiences, backgrounds. Um, So we were all very, very diverse (laughs) in almost every single way coming together to try and do this. And I could see the experiences that I had helping all the time, just something basic and like, what is a policy, right? We're talking about policies that go into legislation that govern our communities, but at the same time, understanding, you know, policies, standards, procedures, guidelines, how that all works and how controls are set up that was really useful and it continues to be useful for the solution that I'm working on right now that I can't tell you about, but when it comes out, I will let you know and it'll make a lot more sense (laughs) (laughs) why why that's the case. (laughs) But I think, yeah, being able to to tie those together, it shows up more often than I think even just doing research and trying to defend something, you know, to a point where that makes sense. My test results are sound. I've backed it up. It's auditor (laughs) ready for scrutiny and bringing that to these other elements. It helps in every other way that I do some other work more than I thought it probably would. What was that purpose that you and Chris were speaking about? What what would you say is your purpose in this field and also kind of progressing things forward? I know the two things that I think came to mind for the most focus, and one was wellness, which I feel like that's coming through in what's happening right now, right? Facilitating mindfulness meditation, working on my practice, helping others find their way through it. And I think the other part for social justice and racial equity For me, it started like several years ago, but that's been huge. I co-lead a racial justice committee that I also co-founded for my church several years ago, and that's been huge as well. So I feel like something about my purpose is like helping people to really find their own purpose. And for me in IT, that's anyone can do it. I had a PR background, and here I am (laughs) still still rocking out, still doing well, still keeping my uh, inner critic, who's Dorothy from Golden Girls, at bay when she tries to remind me I'm just a PR kid and in disguise in this tech suit. <laughs> but I think it's, yeah, helping others like really understand that you can find your purpose here. There's there's a place for you in the field of tech. And we need everyone, as we know, because we have this huge deficit. So I think it's helping them see how they can find fulfillment within the, whatever that purpose is for them for that type of work. And then in the community, it's doing everything I possibly can to advance the well-being of others, like through mindfulness, meditation, and through fighting for social justice in every avenue that I can. Such a rewarding thing to do. And also it's never ending. Like there's always something to do. It's going to be a nonstop challenge until the end of time. You know, what are some of the things that you do to keep yourself fueled and motivated to you know, continue on this never ending journey? <laughs> I was just talking to people about that. Actually, we were doing this um, for my racial justice committee. We were taking a look at this rubric that kind of asked us some things that are in place as we work to you know, continuously progress towards the highest level of a anti-racist congregation. And one of those aspects was about, are we offering therapy, healing, supportive services to those who are doing this work? 
And there were some questions around what does that entail? Because it's a relatively new initiative. And I was explaining how challenging it can be to be advocating for a group of people where you are among those people to be one and work for the 47 million Black community members who live in this country, in my case, and that it can be exhausting and it can feel immobilizing. So for me, it's it's knowing my wellness practices. <laughs> um, so if we have already heard yoga and meditation, but I'm also a very spiritual person. So it's like making sure I have inspiration around and certain books and people <laughs> that can help to bring me back up. I have John Lewis's book on my nightstand among 15 other books that I, all, I read them all at the same time because I have a problem. <laughs> and I think I need to just call on all of that. And some days it's just being upset. You know, the day of the verdict, I was just waiting. You know, we were all just kind of waiting um, the verdict for George, the murder of George Floyd. And we just were just kind of pausing, you know, pausing to think about why are we so worried about what's about to happen? What do we think is going to happen? What happens if the worst case scenario happens? Like that's a lot of anticipatory grief and stress (laughs) and, you know, even reenacting some generational trauma. That's a lot. That's a lot that a lot of us are carrying, you know, all the time. So I think it's stopping, pausing, noticing where I am, seeing what I need to do to nurture myself and take care of myself and then continuing forward. There's a meditation method by um, Tara Brock that's called RAIN and it's recognize, acknowledge, investigate, and nurture. Um, So I, you know, that method can help a lot, right? Just recognizing what's happening in the present moment, acknowledging how I feel with non-judgment and then trying to investigate why using curiosity to help me get there and then nourishing myself with whatever I need. in that moment. Maybe it's a nice playlist. Maybe it's a walk with my dog. (laughs) Just like taking the time to just keep processing and staying aware and present. So this might be a tough question, but how do you take something like mindfulness and technology and fuse them into something that is beneficial for equity? Because I, I see that there's a lot of parallels there, but I'd be curious to see what your take is on it. Well, it's a very challenging question. I know when you're talking about I'm curious about your takes. You seem to have an idea already. <laughs> I don't know. I guess when I think about mindfulness, it's it's kind of about just living. There's a there's an author, Max Strom, and he talks about, you know, having a near life experience, right? Like you're so close <laughs> to living, but we're on autopilot and we're not really able to to stop and realize that we are. So when I try to think about that and technology, I mean, every time there's some type of breach and whatnot, I'm always like hoping it's something beyond basic cyber hygiene that was behind it. (laughs) And so many times that's not the case. Right. And it's just like maybe it's a mistake or maybe it's a lack of oversight and all that to me that that takes mindfulness. It takes being thoughtful about, you know, being compassionate about broadening one's perspective beyond oneself on oneself to like think like what else needs to happen here to like achieve our objectives of what we hope to accomplish. Um, and I think equity, oh man, you added so many things in here, Chris, racial equity. Too. <laughs> Goodness. I mean, to me, that's just like, you know, looking who's around the room, like, um, you know, many times I'm the only, right. And that's not unusual, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I think it's looking at that too. And I'm thinking about how can I support this other person in general, regardless of their race, you know, et cetera. But when I see people of color, just kind of being like, all right, I know that they too know there's not a lot of us around here. <laughs> so how can I continue to support them? So they feel like they should be. And how can I ask those questions so we get more diversity of every kind, including neurodiversity, you know, in every aspect um, around us, because we need that because we know diverse teams 
you know, create the best outcomes. And we need to continuously stay ahead of the game because we know we're always playing defense. And this is hard. <laughs> like this work is hard to be on the tech side of trying to keep systems and people safe. So I guess you're right. It all comes together. But what are your thoughts on it? I, I mean, I couldn't have said it better game. myself. When we talk about technology, you're talking about a high leverage skill that people can use for equity, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's impact. But there's so many things you can do with technology to be here. You know, we did that special We Are Here. It was talking about being here in technology, being a representation of those underrepresented populations. And when you talk about being here, you also talk about mindfulness, because sometimes we get caught up, we get caught up in the past, and sometimes we get caught up in the future. But I feel like it's when you're focused on what needs to be done right now, what is the best thing that I can do right now? What is that one thing I can do this year to move the needle for equality, to move the needle for my own personal career, to move the needle for my own personal financial situation, I feel like that's when you can make and move mountains. You move a mountain a piece at a time or one grain of sand or a grain of dirt at a time. So that's what I think about when I think about equity and technology and also mindfulness. You know, when I think of equity, I think of a state of ideal, right? It's like an ideal state. And a state is temporary. A state is something that is fluid. It's going to change over time. And I think where technology can help is sustaining that state, you know, keeping those things on the forefront of people's mind. You know, the things that you're doing, Natasha, with working with these CEOs, you know, continuing to have them in the conversation, nominate volunteers and fellows like yourself to keep the conversation going because things happen in the world and we do something about it. But it's really important to keep on doing something about it to sustain that ideal state that we're striving for. And another aspect of mindfulness is recognizing global interconnectedness <clears throat> too. So when I think about that, I think it's it's everything we're talking about, like the people, it's also the systems, the whole environment, like it's all coming together um, and just trying to be aware of that and how it, it comes to, to play for the situation you're trying to deal with at the moment, just like you were talking about, Ron. Right. Yes. And I hear a lot about that. And that's how I got into transcendental meditation. Me and mm -hmm. Chris, we did it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I swear there were times where I felt like, you know, in a way that me and Chris were connected along with me and everyone else in the room. Do you think there's like things that you've learned over time that has really solidified that thought of interconnectedness? Where are the examples there for you? I only ask it because one time I was on a plane to, I was actually coming back from Black Hat DEF CON mm -hmm. and there was a woman that on the plane that was like, hey, have you ever heard of quantum mechanics and meditation is related to quantum mechanics? So that's how I was like getting into the transcendental meditation thing. I think that interconnectedness, I mean, we're still in a pandemic. <laughs> I think that in and of itself is is so interesting, right? When someone takes a flight, they go to a party, they do this thing that seems like it's just about them as an individual and how that spread to impact all of us <laughs> around the world and how it continues to impact us. Um, so I feel like, you know, that's one very present example that hopefully will will end at some point this era of COVID. But I think aside from that, um, for me, I think it kind of started in just 
being more aware of things that were happening around the world. I remember my family asking me like, why do I care about what's happening to elephants in, in, in Africa <laughs> or in Thailand? And I'm like, cause it's interesting. And I feel like there's things that we're doing as individuals in our daily lives that are having these ripple effects around our communities and around the world that we might not recognize, but it's, it's there. I think climate change is another example of that and seeing these, these devastating changes that in many cases are starting to seem irreversible like that continues to show that like, it's not just about oneself. It's remember, we're always part of the whole, you know, I guess the system's thinking, right? Like we're always all together (laughs) impacting each other in ways we can see and not see. So the more we are able to enlighten ourselves and bring more awareness to that and have it feed into and change the way we think, what we say and how we act, like the better we all are and cultivating more of that compassion, that awareness that we need um, to continue to, move us in a better direction for our global well-being. Awareness is such a powerful word. Natasha, there's someone that's listening right now that wants to do more. And before they do more, they have to know more. They have to be more aware. They have to be more aware of themselves. They have to be more aware of the challenges and situations of other people around the world and in their community. What piece of advice would you have for that person that wants to take their impact to the world to the next level? I kind of follow this this recipe for myself where it's just about educate, conversate, donate, <laughs> and kind of repeat. I kind of repeat the process or an advocate. That's the other one too. So I think it's kind of seeing like, where do they want to play? You know, to your point, it starts with education. So maybe that's, you know, picking up a book or it's watching a Netflix documentary, like whatever it is, but like whatever that gateway moment is for them when they're thinking about what they want to get involved in, like going through that education process, having those conversations, figuring out how do they want to advocate for whatever it is. Like some people it's writing a letter or calling their representative and some people they want to be, you know, working with volunteer groups, et cetera. So I think it's like, think about those strengths and interests that you naturally have and talents and what can you bring to the particular cause and realizing that everyone has something to bring (laughs) and we all have work to do and no piece of effort is too small or insignificant. Like it all is essential in us being able to make progress. And for a while, I kind of felt like, well, there's other people who focus on this work. There are people who are dedicated to civil rights work and, you know, yoga teachers and meditation teachers who have been doing this for like 30, 40 years. Like, what role do I have to play here? Like, I don't belong <laughs> here doing this work. But I think just just knowing that by getting involved, like you're making a difference. And I've heard that feedback in many different ways, whether it's from mindfulness or leading my racial um, justice committee and hearing people have epiphanies as they're going through their own personal journey with understanding their history and where they are right now with racism and being an active anti-racist it's all there. And I got to be part of those experiences for them. And they were part of mine and my own journey and how I keep evolving. So I think, you know, kind of thinking about those elements hopefully can help them figure out where they want to be and how they can move forward. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for hopping on the mics with us and talking about equity and knowledge and leveling up the playing field across the world. Natasha, for the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the incredible things that you have going on in your life, what are the best ways that people can do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is the best. Natasha R. Barnes, comment Sissa. So feel free to hit me up there and we can take it from there. Yes, please do follow her. We will have the link to Natasha's LinkedIn in the show notes below. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Thanks, guys. 
you enjoy our content, it would mean so much to us if you shared this episode on social media, told a friend, or wrote us a review on your favorite podcast streaming platform.